beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our text describes Jacob's most dramatic encounter with God. It tells a story of a man approaching Jacob in the darkness of the night and wrestling with him. It appears that the men were quite evenly matched, for neither was able to prevail against the other. The wrestling match lasted till daybreak. In telling this story, Jacob's opponent is not immediately identified. But as the story develops, it becomes clear that Jacob was wrestling with God. So our text tells the story of one of the most bizarre encounters between God and one of his children. Some people are not comfortable with the idea that God would come in human flesh and engage in a wrestling match with one of his children. They try to spiritualize this encounter. But the text plainly says that a man wrestled with Jacob. It says that he touched his hip socket and gave Jacob a dislocated hip. And that from that day onwards, Jacob walked with a limp. This was indeed a wrestling match. It was a physical fight that raises an obvious question. Why did God approach Jacob in human form and engage him in a wrestling match? What's going on in our text? Is it normal for God to attack one of his children and fight with them? How are we to understand what happens in this encounter between God and one of his children? Our text raises more questions. Why does God allow Jacob to prevail against him? Why does he touch his hip socket? Why is he concerned about daybreak? What is the meaning of the name Israel? Why does God not tell Jacob his own name? And what does Jacob mean when he says that he has seen God face to face? Martin Luther called this passage one of the most obscure passages in the Old Testament. Biblical commentators have interpreted this passage in many ways, showing the challenge of interpreting this passage correctly. I'm sure that you're wondering about what relevance this text has to your lives. We're not expecting God to come in human form and enter into a physical fight with us. So does our text teach us anything about God and about how he works in our lives? Why did God include his wrestling match with Jacob as one of the stories of salvation? I preach to you God's word under the following theme. Jacob encounters God as a man wrestling with him at night. We'll consider how God wrestled with Jacob, how Jacob would not let God go, and how God blessed Jacob with a new name. Our text begins with Jacob being left alone on the one side of the Jabbok, having sent his family ahead of him. It tells us, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Just imagine being 
alone in the dark. Your heart full of fear and insecurity because you'll soon meet your older brother who has threatened to kill you. And then suddenly rough hands take hold of you. A silent and nameless person fights against you and you're involved in a fight for your life. We know that Jacob was no weakling. When he first came to Laban's place, he rolled away the stone from the mouth of the well. It was a task that normally took a group of men to do. Jacob had worked caring for sheep for the past 20 years. That involved a lot of physical activity. Yet now, in the darkness of the night, he was involved in a wrestling match with a powerful opponent. Just imagine that jolt of adrenaline coursing through Jacob's body when the stranger first grappled with him. Picture him sweating, gasping for air. Two men in the dark, clutching at each other, trying to wrestle each other to the ground, gouging, pulling, butting each other. And not just for a few three-minute rounds, but for hour after hour. Who was Jacob fighting? It's likely that Jacob did not immediately know who he was fighting. Our text begins by saying that a man wrestled with him. The narrator tells the story in this way to heighten the suspense also for us. For quite a while, neither of the two men could gain an advantage on each other. Our text says that the man wrestling with Jacob saw he could not prevail against him. The match was stalemated. Yet as daybreak approached, the man wrestling with Jacob touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Note that our text does not say that Jacob's opponent grabbed Jacob's leg and pulled it. Or that he performed some kind of fancy wrestling move that put Jacob's leg out of joint. The man simply touched his hip socket and put it out of joint. I don't know if you've ever had a finger or an arm pulled out of joint. It causes excruciating pain. The man fighting with Jacob simply touched his hip socket and his leg was effectively paralyzed. Properly speaking, that was the end of the fight. You cannot wrestle with your leg out of joint. But how did it happen? Jacob suddenly realized he was not fighting with a man, but with God. This was a revelation to Jacob. It was the last thing that he ever expected. Jacob was headed for a showdown in his life, but he did not expect the showdown to be with God. He expected it to be with his brother Esau. Twenty years earlier, Jacob had stolen the birthright from his brother. He had deceived his father Isaac, pretending to be Esau, so that he might receive the blessing of the firstborn son. Esau was so upset that he threatened to kill Jacob. That's why Jacob had fled to his uncle Laban's place in Haran. Genesis 32 tells us of how Jacob was now returning to the land of Canaan. But he was terribly worried about the threats Esau had made. 
He worried that Esau still intended to murder him. He sent messengers ahead of him to inform Esau he was coming. He tells his servants to address Esau as my Lord. And he refers to himself as Esau's servant. He makes it clear to Esau that he is independently wealthy. He wasn't looking for any of his father's inheritance. When his servants returned, they told Jacob that Esau was coming to meet him with 400 men. It strikes fear into Jacob's heart. He thinks Esau still seeks to kill him. Otherwise, why would he come with a small army of 400 men? In these desperate circumstances, Jacob prays. For the first time recorded in the Bible, the self-sufficient, self-reliant Jacob prays to God for deliverance. It's a step in the right direction. But Jacob doesn't really trust that God will help him. Jacob is a schemer, a manipulator. He devises a plan. He's rich, so perhaps he can buy off Esau's anger with presents fit for a king. He sends wave after wave of animals with spaces between the droves. Each time another drove met Esau, Jacob's servants were to say, These belong to your servant Jacob. There are presents sent to my lord Esau. Jacob keeps playing the humble servant card. With wave after wave of royal gifts, he's trying to appease the anger of Esau. The question we need to ask ourselves is this. Where was God in Jacob's life? What role did he play? Was God central? Did Jacob truly trust in the Lord? There are many indications that he did not. When Jacob and his family fled from Laban, Rachel took her father's household gods with her. It appears that idol worship was part of the life of Jacob's family. And what stands out is Jacob's lack of trust, despite all God's rich blessings in his life. When Jacob left the land of Canaan, God had appeared to him in a dream at Bethel. He promised to give him the land of Canaan. The Lord promised to make his offspring like the dust of the earth in number. He said that through his offspring, all the families of the earth would be blessed. The Lord promised to be with Jacob wherever he went and to keep him and to bring him back to the promised land. Jacob recognized that God was in that place and he made a vow devoting his life to the Lord. God was faithful to his promises. When Jacob first came to Haran, Laban took advantage of him. He hired Jacob to work seven years for a dowry to secure Rachel as his wife, but then gave him Leah instead. He forced Jacob to work another seven years to be allowed to marry Rachel. Afterward, Laban tried repeatedly to cheat Jacob out of his wages. The only reason Jacob prospered was because the Lord was with him, because he'd promised to bless him. Even though Jacob came to Haran alone, God blessed him with a family. He provided him with many children. 
Although he came penniless and Laban tried to cheat him, God blessed him materially. He made him exceedingly rich. At the beginning of Genesis 32, we read of how when Jacob left Laban's place, the angels of God met him. That would have been of immense comfort to Jacob. He called that place Mahanaim, which means two camps. Besides his own company, God had come to camp with him. Thus God provided Jacob with a heavenly escort as he goes on his way to meet his brother Esau. He gave Jacob the assurance of his ongoing presence with him. Yet we see Jacob still did not trust in the Lord. Despite God's rich fulfillment of his promises made at Bethel 20 years earlier and his presence with Jacob as he came back to the land of Canaan, Jacob's heart is still filled with fear at what would happen when he met Esau. The Lord had promised to take care of him, to preserve his life, to bring him back and allow him to settle in Canaan. But deep in his heart, Jacob feels like he cannot rely on God to do as he said. Jacob was ready for a confrontation with Esau. He expected to wrestle with a man who he felt had ruined his life. But in our text, God came in the night and he wrestled with Jacob. Do you understand why? Can you see what God is doing? In today's terms, we would say that God was staging an intervention An intervention is an occasion when family or friends gather to confront someone who has a serious problem, to tell them that they need to get help. In our society, this often happens when someone faces addiction issues in his or her life. Their loved ones do what they can to help that person see what the problem is, to get him to admit that he has a problem, and then to plan how to overcome it. Why does God do an intervention in Jacob's life? Because it was necessary for him to meet the person that he'd been wrestling with his whole life. Jacob's life is one of striving. Prior to his birth, God had promised to give him the blessing of the eldest son. But Jacob wasn't content for God to provide what he promised. First he bought the birthright from Esau. Later he deceived Isaac to get the blessing from him. Jacob's problem was that he always needed to be in control. He did not trust God to give him the birthright. He was a liar and a deceiver who manipulated the people around him to get what he wanted. For many years, Jacob had thought that Esau was the biggest problem in his life. Yet when God wrestled with Jacob, he suddenly figured out that all his life he had been wrestling with God. He figured out that all his life he had been trying to control God. Jacob's experience is not unique. 
To some extent, we all face the same problem that Jacob struggled with. We all want to be in control of our own lives. It is hard for us to trust God will provide all we need for body and soul. By nature, we like to be independent and self-sufficient. I want to be in control of my own life. Don't tell me what to do. I'm strong enough, I'm smart enough to take control of my own life. But beloved, life teaches us that this is not true. It may take many years. It may require God to intervene in your life by bringing hardships and struggles and sorrows. But at some point in time, we're all confronted with our weakness, with our inability. Perhaps God needs to bring sickness or an accident or financial struggles or relationship problems or some other kind of adversity. But we will never experience real life change until the foundations of our life are exposed. Jacob had resolved to deal with what he considered to be the central issue of his life, his battle with his older brother. He was determined to have it out with Esau once and for all, even if he died trying. But in his wrestling match with God, he discovered that Esau was not the real issue. The real issue was that he had focused his whole life on receiving God's blessing. He wanted that blessing more than he wanted God himself. Aren't we often like that, beloved? That we seek after God's gifts more than we seek after him? If that's true, you don't repent then at some point in time, God may also need to intervene in your life to confront you with life circumstances to show that all his good gifts are meaningless without him to teach you to make God central in your life. We've seen how God wrestled with Jacob. Brings us to our second point, and it will see how Jacob would not let God go. After God put Jacob's hip out of joint, he said to him, Let me go, for the day has broken. One of the Bible's teachings is that man cannot see God and live. God wrestled with Jacob through the night, but at daybreak he wanted to depart. He did not want to put Jacob in a situation where seeing God would cost him his life. Yet Jacob has just experienced an extraordinary encounter with God. He has just experienced the mighty power of God who put his hip out of joint simply by touching it. He's just come to the realization that he was wrong to spend his life lying and manipulating to get what he wanted. So Jacob is not ready to let God go. Instead of fighting with God, he fights for God. 
Jacob responded to God's demand to let him go by saying, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob wants to see God. He wants God to bless him. So Jacob asked the man he wrestled with, please tell me your name. The man responded, why is it that you ask my name? Here Jacob is asking for the same thing that Moses asked from God in Exodus 33. When Moses said, show me your glory. Moses wanted to see the face of God. Although he had often been in the presence of God in the tent of meeting, he wanted a deeper experience of God. On that occasion, the Lord told Moses he would put him in the cleft of the rock and make all his goodness pass before him, but that he would not be allowed to see God's face. And when the Lord appeared to Moses, he declared his name. He revealed himself saying, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. In the Bible, for the Lord to declare his name or to show his face or to reveal his glory is all the same. Knowing a person's name is knowing his character, knowing who he is. Jacob had no need to ask God his name. He knew who God was. He had just undergone a dramatic encounter with God. The Lord had made known to him his deep love in pursuing Jacob in order to change him. The Lord had made it clear to him that all through his life, He'd been near to Jacob. He had watched over him. Throughout his life, Jacob had thought he was getting ahead in life through his own efforts, by his own striving. But now he realized that every step of the way, God had watched over him and cared for him. Prior to this night, Jacob had used God to get what he wanted. He had tried to control his life by doing all in his power to secure the birthright. Now he realized what God's words to Abram, spoken many years earlier, meant. The Lord had told Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Jacob had looked for happiness in all the wrong places. But now he was seeking to know God's name, to see his face, to truly receive his blessings. Our text states that there God blessed him. Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. It is doubtful that Jacob actually saw God's face. Their wrestling match came to an end as the day was breaking. They were still in the shadows of the night. God withdrew before the light of day to protect Jacob because no one can see God's face and live. But Jacob calls that place Peniel, which means face of God. For it was here that Jacob first came to see God as he really is. Striking to note the differences between Jacob and us, beloved. 
Jacob lived in the very early days of God's relationship with his people. While he had a personal encounter with God, a wrestling match, he did not come to know God in the full way that we know him. The Lord does not reveal his name to Jacob, for it's too wonderful for him. He does not show Jacob his face, for that's far too glorious for his eyes. He had revealed as much about himself as Jacob needed to go forward in faith in his life. We today know God in a much richer way. Jacob saw the face of the Lord but dimly. We see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What that means is that we've come to experience God's grace and love in a much fuller way, in knowing that God gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. While Jacob asked for the Lord to reveal to him his name, he did not give him his name. But, beloved, God's name is put on our foreheads when we're baptized in the name of our triune God. We are blessed with all the riches of God's love, when his rich promises are declared to us and our children at our baptism, as we'll also witness later in this service with the baptism of Jamie Marie Minderhout. Like Jacob, when we face life's challenges, may we cling to our God. May we grab hold of him with both hands and not let go until he blesses us. How do you do that, beloved? How can you wrestle for the reality of having God as Jacob did? Pray, even when you don't feel like it. Pray, even when you think you don't know how. Call on God. Lay your needs before him. Ask for help. Keep doing so. Don't give up, even if it feels like nothing good is happening in your life. Remember, you're seeking God, not his goodies. You need his presence more than you need anything else. It brings us to our final point, and we'll consider how God blessed Jacob with a new name. When Jacob sought a blessing from the man he was wrestling with, he asked him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Jacob's answer was not just a statement of fact. It was a confession of guilt. It was an acknowledgement that he was what his name indicated about him. Jacob was saying, I am a deceiver. I am a supplanter. The Lord knew that Jacob had repented. He knew that his life had been irrevocably changed through the fight that they had that night. And so the Lord gave Jacob a new name. He said to him, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob's whole life had been one of deceitful striving. 
But in the past night, he had striven with God. And that had reoriented his life. He was now striving with God for his blessing. And he had prevailed. God blessed him. God gave him a new name to show that he was now a new man. A man who had sought God and wanted to know him and to live in close fellowship with him. Our text continues by noting that the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. The fact that the sun rose is significant. When Jacob left his father's family on his way to Uncle Laban's place, he left behind the land God promised to give him and his offspring. At Bethel, the sun had set when God met Jacob in the night and gave him his blessing. But at Peniel, God met Jacob in the night, gave his blessing, and the sun rose upon him. A new day is beginning for Jacob. It was symbolic of God's renewed blessing on his life. Our text makes a point of the fact that Jacob left limping. He's left with a permanent disability. It was a reminder of the time when he encountered God and strove with him. Our text teaches us something really important. When God was forced to do an intervention in Jacob's life, it dramatically changed him for the better. But it also left him wounded. Often it's that way in our lives as well. If our life is not oriented on God, if he's not central, if we're focused on God's goodies rather than God himself, God may need to do an intervention in our lives. If we're always striving against God, seeking full control over our own lives, not living to his glory, God will at some point do something to get our attention. Unfortunately, God's interventions into our lives are often most painful. They wound us. They hurt us. They cause sorrow and distress. And we need to see these things in the right way. God's wounds are not meant for our detriment, but for our good. Jacob's dislocated hip and the resulting limp was a sign of grace. Why, you ask? Because it was so much less than what Jacob deserved. His limp was not a punishment from God. It was a chastisement. It was God disciplining him for his good. Hebrews 12 teaches that God disciplines his sons and daughters because he loves us. He does it for our good to draw us closer to him. Through his wrestling match with God, the Lord drew Jacob into a much closer, more personal relationship with him. That day, the covenant God 
That day, the covenant that God had made with Jacob became real in his life. We need to learn to know God as a God who is near, who watches over us, who blesses us, who keeps his promises, who will do whatever it takes to draw us as his children to him. In our text, Jacob moved forward without any fear of Esau. What had been the major challenge of his life was not an issue anymore. And that's how it can be for us as well, beloved, when we truly come to know our God. When God is big, life's problems fade away. When you find God, you experience true peace and blessings like never before. Amen.